Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Things you can buy for $5. A large cup of coffee and a bagel. Five tiny hamburgers. A pint of craft beer. Five lottery tickets. A couple of hours in a Boise parking garage. About five minutes in a New York parking garage. Enough gas to maybe get you to the next gas station if you're lucky. A month of a AAA membership to tow your car because you ran out of gas. And, of course, Saturnius Mons on ebook at Amazon.com, which is guaranteed to provide more entertainment value than anything else on this list. It helps support this little project, it keeps more books and podcasts flowing, and it will not leave you stranded on the side of the road with an empty gas tank and a head full of regret. Listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far: War has gripped Titan. Halifaco made the first dramatic attack by using the knowledge provided to him about the refineries to destroy them in dramatic fashion. The corporation evacuated the moon, and the Venganto arrived to destroy anything and anyone left behind. Cronus came up with a plan to save Titan, but before the team could regroup, he was attacked by Venganto flyers. Vega rushed to save him, but while Althea and Isra dragged Cronus to safety, Vago fell into a triple T rage and chased a Venganto until he accidentally fell into the freezing Titanian Sea. Chapter 27 Just as people have managed to adapt and settle in virtually every environment on Earth, they soon found their place on alien worlds. One thousand years later, one can only imagine what those people would look like to us. Who knows what generations outside our terrestrial Eden would do to the human body and mind. Whatever the consequence, I believe the human spark can endure. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath Isra kicked the door to the armory open and, with Althea's help, carried the unconscious body of Vago's spade inside. They laid him on the ground, and Isra yelled, Close the door and barricade it before those things find out where we are. Kronos shut the door and fumbled with the metal bar to brace it, while the two women took Vago to a wooden bench that ran along a series of metal supply lockers. He continued to thrash as they laid him down, although his movements were weak. He moaned, No, humans, don't. Althea started unbuttoning his formerly white jacket, now smeared with black mud. He's in shock. Get these wet clothes off of him. Strip him down to the arrow suit. Isra removed his boots and socks and unbuttoned his pants. The cloth was stiff, cold, and cracked when it moved. Isra's fingers hurt just touching it. Within minutes, he was down to the tight-fitting arrow suit and the medical regulator mounted on his shoulder. All the time, Vago continued to mumble about the Venganto. Althea sat back, pulled up her sleeve, and activated the diagnostics on her Eros computer. 
Isra stood up. What is he saying now? Althea shook her head. He's delirious. Still talking about the Venganto. Keeps saying that they are human. Isra sat back to watch Althea work. Is he going to live? Althea scrolled through the data and shook her head. I don't know. The medical regulator in the arrow suit used up almost all their power trying to keep his core temperature up. Right now, he'll die without them. All the power? asked Isra, tapping her own regulator. Both devices are powered by nanoporous electrodes. They can operate for months without a replacement. Althea shook her head. Water at freezing temperature can kill someone in a half an hour, and the Mar has so much ammonia and other chemicals that it's significantly below that. It needed every bit of energy just to keep his body above 95 degrees. So what do we do now? asked Isra. Althea looked around the lab. I, I need a replacement battery for the RX-5. Size NB-103. Usually used to power portable industrial devices. There might be something around here. Isra got up and walked to the equipment storage. There were guns of every shape and size on the walls, crates of ammunition, and work tables filled with all manner of unidentifiable equipment. Isra looked around helplessly. I do not even know where to begin. Kronos came up beside her and pulled an electronic rifle down off the rack, the same type the guards inside the shuttle were carrying earlier. Kronos turned it over in his hand. One never appreciates the nature of things until they stop to think about it. Complete incapacitation at a distance. No lasting harm. No long-term ill effects. In terms of crowd control, nothing like it has been developed before or since. A marvel of engineering. He took it by the front and smashed it as hard as he could on the side of the work table. Isra jumped back as shards of metal, glass, and plastic flew in all directions. It's too bad that the corporation would rather sell a thousand of them than make the batteries rechargeable, he said, picking up a small donut-shaped device out of the remains. He brought the battery to Althea, who ejected the spent one from the medical regulator. She put the new one in its place and sat back on her heels. There was a small, high-pitched whine from the device. Then it went silent, and Vega went completely still. Althea felt for a pulse. Need to wait for the system to boot up. His core temperature is still in the toilet. Hopefully he doesn't suffer permanent damage. Will he live? asked Isra. Althea leaned back. He's just passed out. We won't know until he comes out of this. Vega was Althea's problem now. Time to move on to the next issue. Among the guns mounted on the wall were several knives of varying size and intimidation qualities. Isra selected something large and nasty-looking. While that little saboteur Kronos watched Althea and beamed over his minor contribution, Isra spun him around and held the knife to his throat. While we wait, perhaps we could discuss what you are doing back here. Isra, Althea started, please stay out of this, Althea. You deal with your patient, I will deal with mine. Once again, Kronos, what are you doing here? Kronos tried to look down at the knife, pressing against his neck. He held his breath as if it would keep the blade from slicing it open. I suppose this isn't another diversion, is it? Isra flicked her wrist. A drop of blood appeared. It is not. I need answers now, and the knife should persuade you to be both honest and, most importantly, quick. Kronos took a long, deep breath. I, I had an idea. I know how you can stop the war. If you kill me, you'll never figure it out. I came back to help. I just wanted to help you. Please don't kill me. Isra, just listen to him for a minute, said Althea. Isra studied Kronos' face. 
He was tragically inept, his train of thought was on far too steep a grade, and his priorities were manic at the best of times, but every muscle twitch in his face radiated sincerity. Or maybe a deep desire to not be bled like a pig. She let Cronus go and paced around the armory for a few moments to set her mind right. Finally, and as much for effect as anything else, she jabbed the knife hard into a wooden work table. Okay, Cronus, I will listen to what you have to say. Cronus gulped. Okay, it's like this. The people on this planet, they worship the corporation. Well, not the corporation, but a corporation. But see, the corporation has become the corporation. So what we do is we get the head of the corporation to speak to them as the head of the corporation. Two sides see that their corporation is now the corporation, and maybe they work together for the goodwill of the corporation. Isra and Althea sat blinking in a sort of bewildered silence. That's it, said Isra, pulling the knife from the workbench. I'm killing him. No, no, wait, said Althea. I think it's a bit brilliant in a way. Isra blinked, glancing from Althea to Kronos. Then clearly you heard something that I did not. Althea leaned back. This planet has developed a kind of bizarre cult around the old Transplanetary Energy Corporation, yes? So we use that. The people will surely listen if the Companio tells them to stop the war. Isra threw the knife away. Well, that is all well and good in theory, but these people are not stupid. We have no credibility left with the Houston or Halifaco. They have no reason to listen to us anymore. Cronus relaxed just enough to breathe normally. The company have contacted the city before. The giant screen in the city center. The screens at the spaceport. There was a time when this colony was in constant contact with Earth. All we need to do is reestablish that connection through the old channels. Isra paused a moment. He was right. He was a pedantic little turd but he was right. She imagined screens all over the city lighting up for the first time in a millennia. If that sight didn't inspire awe and pause in the city, then it was a lost cause. Vago's medical regulator finished rebooting, and Althea checked the readout on her Eros computer. Well, he's fine for now. The medical regulator will keep his blood moving, but just barely. It'll take some time for his core temperature to get back to normal. And I gave him some medication to mitigate any organ damage, but he's going to be out for a while. Isra looked down and shook her head. Damn it, Vago. What could have possessed him to do something like this? Althea went to grab something in her medical bag and then stopped. Every part of her face showed shock and fear. Whatever she found, she wouldn't pull it out, and she avoided looking Isra in the face. Isra knelt down beside her. Althea, what is wrong? Althea shook her head, still avoiding Isra's gaze. Nothing. It's, it's nothing. Isra's gaze hardened. Althea. The medic sighed and pulled her hand from her bag with something clenched in her fist. She opened it up to show Isra five shiny blue capsules. Isra examined them for a moment. What exactly are those? Althea gulped and breathed hard to try to keep from breaking down. Trihydroxide, thiosulfate, tetraoxide. Nobody said anything for several minutes. Those three words had been repeated over and over across all parts of the NouveauNet so often that the chemical names were no longer a term reserved for those with specialized knowledge. It was a household name associated with horrible senseless atrocities committed on all corners of the earth. Murder, rape, suicide, violent crime of all kinds had been on the rise over the last several years, with one drug to blame. Triple T, said Kronos, looking at Vago. Vago Spade is on Triple T? 
Althea nodded. This time she could not stop a few tears creeping down her face. Isra didn't say anything at first. She wandered off to some corner of the armory. Triple T. Vago Spade was raged out on Triple T, and Althea not only knew about it, but facilitated it. Deep down, Isra knew it too. Maybe not the specifics, but she knew there was a secret that had the potential to leave everything she worked for smoldering in their wake. How long? asked Isra, not looking at Althea. How long have you known? Althea looked down at Vago. Since that first day when he started lapsing into a dissociative state, I suspected something immediately but couldn't prove it until... Althea kept talking, but Isra didn't hear her. At that moment, Isra realized she didn't care what Althea was about to say. Althea, Vago, Kronos. They were all operating according to their own whims, and, as a result, her mission was completely tanked. She felt a surge of anger rush through her, and, instead of repressing it, she decided to let it work for her. While Althea was still talking, Isra grabbed a tool chest and threw it to the ground. Equipment and supplies spilled across the floor with a crash. She grabbed an upright supply chest and slammed it to the floor. A whole rack of tools next. After that, things were just a blur of destruction. Every piece of equipment, smashed to bits, just drove her on. There was something liberating about letting go and letting her emotions take over. But she soon ran out of objects in her immediate vicinity to destroy. She took a few deep breaths to collect herself. Althea and Kronos were staring at her as if she'd completely lost her sense. That was good, because there was a fair chance that she had. She grabbed a chair and pulled it over to Cronus. He backed up against the wall, putting as much distance between her and him as possible. Isra sat down, put her head in her hands, and muttered for a few seconds, then looked up at Cronus and said, You have no idea how sad this statement makes me, but you are the only human I can trust on this moon. Cronus's mouth gaped open. Isra shook her head. Do not get excited. My options are poor at best. Before we go any further, truth time, right here, right now. Convince me that this plan of yours can work. How are we supposed to activate the screens? I doubt very much that we can just set up a signal here and be done with it. Kronos kept his back pinned against the wall. You would be correct. The Transplanetary Energy Corporation is extremely concerned about outside interference. You need the right modulation. A code in the waves. Fortunately, people are creatures of habit. The modulation the corporation uses is similar. It will only require a minor alteration for the system to accept it as genuine. And how does that help us? said Isra slowly. She had a feeling she wasn't going to like the answer. The same way I hid information aboard Innovation. I take control of their relay station and use it to rebroadcast. Isra tensed. You mean the same way Laban got his hands on the refinery plans in the first place? What is to keep him from finding out what we are doing? Cronus's face twisted in thought. He won't be expecting it. He is not tuned to the signal. We can move like shadows through the data. Isra got up and paced. It is not good, but it is a start. So what do we need for that to happen? Can we find the needed equipment here? Cronus looked at his shoes. That's where the plan gets complicated. I will need to be in the pyramid to route the signal to the proper sources. It will take time, and I will need to remain undisturbed. Isra clenched her teeth. And not easy with the Houston's army patrolling the city, looking for anything threatening. To say nothing of the Venganto. We will die six times before we get anywhere near the city. 
Althea stood. Those screens in the city are ancient, installed before the fall over a thousand years ago. How do you know they will even work? Cronus's eyes flashed back and forth between the two women, and he kept his back to the wall. The screens in the city are fine. Graphene-based alloys with submolecular transistors built into the material itself. Their durability made them a popular choice when Earth civilization expanded to the planets and moons. Most will still work so long as they have power. That will be the difficult part. The power systems in the city are a disaster. Isra raised her head. Disaster? How so? Can it be fixed? Kronos glanced at Althea. Some paths are better than others. We must route the power through a specific path. There's a substation not far, and some energy left in various capacitors around the city. They are unused at the moment, but I can reroute it as I need to. Isra looked at her team, or what remained of it. It would be a challenge to complete Cronus's tasks, even if everyone was at peak performance. Exhausted and one person down, it struck Isra as impossible. She shook her head. Not going to happen. We would never get into the city, much less the pyramid, and we could not hold it if we did. There has got to be another way to get the message into the cities. Kronos closed his eyes and thought, but the answer came from the other direction. Halafako, said Althea. He's the only person left on this planet who's got enough people. He could draw out the Houston's army long enough for us to do what Kronos wants. Ezra stood. I do not know if he will help us. But he still has a radio, we could ask. Kronos pulled up the sleeve and started tapping on the screen. Halafako! Halafako! This is Kronos! If you can hear me, respond. This is an emergency. Isra paced as she watched Kronos. Not picking up? Kronos looked down at the screen. He is not, and no signal on the satellite locator. He either can't hear us, does not wish to be found. The derelict, said Althea. It's a fair bet he'd go there, and if he didn't, someone there might know where he is. Besides, we need the Perfin Duloy, not Halafako per se. That's where the center of their society is. Isra sat back in a chair and shook her head. There is sixty kilos of jungle and flying death from above between us and him. How do we get there? The room fell silent as the realization of what was in between them and Halifaco's derelict ship sunk into their minds. Kronos was the first to speak. Vago said the Venganto were human. Althea shook her head. He was delirious. Who knows why he was saying that? But let's assume he saw something that proves that. It's the most logical explanation, after all, said Kronos. What is the alternative? That some alien race was either found or developed here that has the ability to fly, spit fire, and see in the dark? But how could they be human, said Althea. If you could fly just by strapping wings to your arm and flapping away, we'd not need to develop the machines to fly and carry us through the sky. Kronos started to answer, but Isra cut in. You cannot on Earth, but on Titan... Kronos beamed like a teacher whose students just grasped an important concept. Exactly right. Titan has lower gravity, a thicker atmosphere, and more oxygen for strenuous activity. Humans cannot fly under their own power on Earth, but Titan is different for many reasons. Isra sat down and squinted at Kronos. Okay, so how does that help us? If they are human, then they are using technology to accomplish their superhuman feats. Technology can be exploited. For example... Kronos got up and went to the workbench. He found a gun about as long as his arms and designed to fire some sort of large cartridge. Night vision can be easily compromised by sudden bright lights. They cannot compensate as well as the human eye. Isra got up and took the gun from Kronos. A flare gun. It should be enough, said Kronos matter-of-factly. 
It will disorient them and make us harder to track. What if you're wrong, said Althea. What if they're using something else or have some innate ability to see in the dark? Easter loaded a flare cartridge into the chamber. Only one way to find out. She crept to the door of the shelter and opened it a crack. There were four Venganto circling overhead, possibly waiting for some helpless person to try and escape. She stepped out into the open and, sure enough, the flying creatures stopped their slow circle and started to converge on her position. She aimed the flare gun into the air and fired. The cartridge flew high into the air, where it burst into a brilliant white light. For a couple of seconds, the sky was so bright she could clearly make out the bark on the trees and the footprints in the mud. Isra had to look away from the blast itself. When the sky was dark again, the Venganto were nowhere to be seen. Isra went back to the armory. Grab all the cartridges you can find and some way to carry Vago. If this is going to work, we have got to move while we have the chance. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.